Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome to the Mordcast. Before we get started, I'd like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Moisey in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They're always online at bfwdenver.com. If you like reds, you like whites, you got blends, you got uh, Rieslings, anything that you really like, and your local wine bar is there at Blanchard Family Wines. They also uh, have, uh, if you go to bfwdenver.com, uh, you can pick yourself up one of those bottles. Uh, you can get that 2017 Cabernet that I've been telling you about. You can get that Blake Street blend. Um, but basically any of the wines that they make in California from uh, grapes from Sonoma County, you can get right there. Uh, if you go into Blanchard Family Wines, you can also get any of the Colorado wines that are uh, local uh, and made for you there. Uh, go to bfwdenver.com, book yourself a virtual wine tasting, or you could even get a, book yourself a reg- reservation there. Anything you want, they have it at your fingertips. Once again, they're located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazi in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They're always online at bfwdenver.com. You can go, find them on Facebook and Instagram at Blanchard Family Wines. When you go in or you talk to them, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you there. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG Network. I'm, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. Okay. Uh, got a special guest here. We're, we're in play of a playoff preview mode. I uh, haven't had him on for a bit, so it's always nice to have him back for, um, I'll call him Mr. Um, stat guy, because uh, his his stat on Nikola Jokic uh, got used like wildfire uh in the uh, game against uh, what was it memphis so uh it is your friend my friend everybody's friend you know him you love him brian blackburn from denver steps hello brian hi jeff what what an intro right and right honestly what that was such a weird day and and really such a weird time and and there there are people crediting me for that for for everything and i've had several people reach out to me in dms and say that stat may have won Nikola Jokic the MVP, which is a really cool thing. That's a that's a really cool thing to think about. Yeah, I mean, you've you've apparently the people of Philadelphia don't think uh, that stat is legitimate, but and, and we they they do not agree with me. They they <laughs> they think that's uh, that's not something that you usually should should be defaulting to at, at this stage. The old point three bounds and assists, but I uh, look, it is what it is, man, and. The fact that Denver won 48 games and the Sixers won 51 and they had James Harden and Denver didn't have Jamal Murray or Michael Porter, that's a pretty big deal. That is a, a pretty big deal in this whole discussion. So I know we're going to get into that and, and should be a lot of fun, but I just thought, look, this is a, this is a cool thing that I could share with the people and it, it blew up. Well, that's uh, a good segue into what we're going to talk about. Um, look, any listeners of the of CSG and the Morecast know uh, I hate the MVP award in general. I think 
first uh, first team All NBA and Finals MVP are much more legitimate awards um, because they are not based on season long narratives. Um, it is a popularity contest and it's a narrative contest. I, I hate it and I like it just about as much as uh, Nikola Jokic does. I'll I'll say that, and <laughs> I think I think where I'm at here is this: um, removing myself and my own biases from this thing. Yeah, I can I can make a very legitimate case for all of the three top candidates for MVP. I could make a very legitimate case for all of them. I happen to live in Denver, so uh, it's going to make me inclined to think that Nikola Jokic is the MVP. If you live in Philly, you're going to think Embiid is. If you live in Milwaukee, you're going to think Giannis deserves his third MVP in four years. Um, There's just a whole bunch of different factors to this. Um, And And from your perspective, Ryan, what is the thing other than that stat that uh, uh, came about at the end of the year? What is the thing that makes Nikola Jokic stand above both Giannis and Embiid? It's tough, right? Like you have three historic seasons, three guys that are playing at their the best levels that they've ever played at before. And I, I have no doubt that, you, like you said, you could argue that Joel Embiid is the MVP. You could argue that Giannis Antetokounmpo is the MVP. I'm arguing for Nikola Jokic's MVP, not just because he's my favorite player on the team that I cover, but because I, I genuinely believe that he had the most impactful season, which is how I personally define the criteria for MVP to be uh, it's, it's never about the narratives with me. And, and I think if you strongly push the narratives of this, it would be Joel Embiid. It would be the scoring title leader, the big athletic dominant uh, rim protector that he, he's got the narrative win, especially behind the Philly market, which I think everybody really wanted to give him the MVP this year. I don't think that anybody wanted to give, Nikola Jokic, the MVP. I also think that there's a a general push that as Giannis Antetokounmpo reminded people at the end of the regular season against Joel Embiid, against Kevin Durant, he is probably the best player in the NBA, just Mm -hmm. the most versatile and impactful player in all areas of, of what you need to win a title. He had the big moment last year at the end of the NBA finals where he had 50 points went like 17 of 19 from the free throw line and defeated a lot of demons along the way, I think. And so you can absolutely argue that Giannis is the best player. Therefore we should give him the MVP. However, neither of those two guys had the best season and the MVP in my eyes is the player who had the most impactful year, the most impactful season. And that is what Nikola Jokic embodies at this point as Denver dealing with the strife that they have, the, the lack of talent that they've had at, at a, several positions, Jokic has risen above it all and provided such exorbitant value mm-hmm. that he's helped guide the Nuggets into the playoffs to be in the same spot that Giannis and Embiid are. Like it's, not like, it's not like those guys are major top two, top one seeds in their conference right. and just running away with the wins. Uh, all of these teams are very close. And the fact that Jokic was able to do it in the circumstance that he was given is very, very important and very, very impressive. So I would give him the MVP for that reason. And I think a lot of people are coming around to that. And you, I know you argued just really quickly, you argued quickly that the MVP is a narrative thing. It's not necessarily great. I think that this year it's less narrative than we've ever seen before. 
in all honesty, because a narrative win would not have given this award to Nikola Jokic. It would have given it to somebody else. Well, I, I think my main complaint is that it's a, like a high school popularity contest, and I loathed those when I was in high school. Um, but at the same time, I mean, I get, I get why people are behind it. I get, I get why people love the award. I, um, <clears throat> to me, uh, MVPs in the NV, NBA regular season are the least, matter the least to me. Because right. it's, it's, it's because the NBA legitimately is two seasons. And the play, I wish they had a playoffs MVP rather than a finals MVP, because I think that would fully encompass what you accomplish uh, during that time, because there's some great players who barely miss out on the finals and all that stuff. But I think that from my perspective, you know, I've seen far too many of these awards, like the the most, some of the, some of the weirdest ones, I was like, I don't know how Shaquille O'Neal only won one. Um, considering he was the most dominant player in the league from like 99 to 2002, but right. he won three consecutive finals MVPs and which is tremendous three consecutive finals MVP to me is like solidifies how, what made Shaq so dominant on great teams. So I think I'm doing getting to the point now with Jokic where I'm like, forget the, the regular season MVPs. We're going to need the someone. I don't. I forget. I read an article about this, and I don't know. I don't know who said it, but Jokic is now getting to the point where it's no longer regular season. He's going to have to get to playoffs, progress farther than the second round, like they did in the bubble. May get to the finals, and they're going to have to start winning because I think once you win that second one, which is where we were assuming he's at. Uh, once you win that second one, it, it becomes all about validating those MVPs, right? I mean, like Steve Nash won back-to-back MVPs in the mid-2000s and never won a title. I'm with you there. And, and I think a lot of Nuggets fans will agree with you, too, for what it's worth. I think a lot of Nuggets fans want to see this team as healthy as they possibly can get. And that's really the only way that they're going to have a chance, given kind of the the roster construction that they have. It's been tough because with Jamal Murray going down in April of last year, it really knocked away kind of two major playoff runs, I think. You had it last year where Denver looked like they were gearing up to really have a title run. And then you have this year where the, the common term has been purgatory for much of this. And, and the Nuggets have been a team that is kind of struggling against the talent barrier that they've really established for themselves, where Jokic kind of rises above that. Not enough players consistently rise above that on a consistent basis. But I'm with you, man. Like, I, I definitely agree that, look, a two-time MVP winner would solidify Jokic's kind of greatness in that, hey, he has to be a top 50 player of all time. There's no doubt. Like like Steve Nash is a top 50 player of all time. Mm-hmm. But there are other players that have also won multiple MVPs that had that playoff success, that had that final success, that really vaulted them into another tier entirely. So that's what I'm hoping for Jokic. It's, it reminds me of Giannis back in the bubble where they lost to the Miami Heat and got swept and it was pretty ugly and everybody crapped on Giannis rightly so at that point. And then he turned around and won a title next season. And that was a really big deal and a really big jump and shift in the momentum of what Giannis's career trajectory was going to look like. And now if he wins another title, 
or like places second in MVP voting and then wins a title in finals MVP. And you're talking about GOAT status with them. Right. Let me ask you this, because you've been more than willing to wade into the, uh, the murky depths of the MVP debate online. Uh, and I do mean murky. Um, it is murky. <laughs> uh, just let me ask you something. I, 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 aside from Philly fan whininess about this, and, and I, I'm willing to take a shot at, at Philly, at, uh, at uh, Sixers and, and people in Philadelphia over this because they're, man, they're in their feelings over this right now, which is, oh, yeah. which is starting to get a little ridiculous. But removing all that, just removing all that, what made you want to wade into this? Because quite frankly, maybe it's because I'm old, but I just like, I have no desire to engage with this sort of thing. It would take years off my life and I already don't have much life left in me. So I don't know if I could really want to do that. What made you, because you've been in the depths of this, what made you want to go there? I think it's because not enough people are there. Yeah. I think it's one of the reasons is because nationally, there are very few people that are on the Jokic bandwagon. Like, like Zach Lowe, I think you can describe as on the Jokic bandwagon. Ben's, uh, Bill Simmons, excuse me. Bill Simmons, I think you could describe as on the Jokic bandwagon. Those guys, they know how great he is. They understand and appreciate his greatness and will, are more than willing to be vocal about that. There just aren't that many other people like that. And, and there's often just a, a lack of general national coverage for how great this player is when he could potentially go down as a top 20, top 30 player of all time. And nobody's talking about it along the way. And I, I think that uh, some of it is a part of the media room here at Denver, at, in Denver, where there's just not a lot of people covering the Nuggets in general. And you have the people that are there on the daily, and I, I'm, I'm mostly there. But you've got Harrison uh, over at DNVR. You've got Mike Singer covering for the Denver Post. You've got now uh, Darren McKee, DMAC over at 104.3 The Fan, which has been really cool to see. Yeah. Uh, but you just don't have a lot of coverage of one of the best players in the world. And I think that it's important for somebody to proclaim how good this guy is. And it has to come from an honest place. It has to come from as much objective information as possible, which is why I use the stats that I do. Right. I'm not trying to manipulate things to show how great Jokic is. Jokic does it by himself, but somebody has to be willing to kind of take the bullets a little bit when it comes to the the national brushback that you usually get with somebody like him. I just happen to think that Jokic, as good as he is, he's going to help me clear that because he's that talented and that good. So as he continues to rise, more people and more people are going to climb on that bandwagon. And hopefully it's not just me. Hopefully it's not just a small select group that are defending his honor online. Well, it's, it's, fascinating absolutely fascinating in a sense that you can get this 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 weird and very invested debate and i don't know if i've ever seen people as invested in making sure that one guy doesn't get the award as a right. perspective from sixers fans than it is getting their own guy the award and which has been a weird dichotomy that I've seen evolve, particularly the last two years, where it, it's more, and, and it's, it's strange, it's more about Jokic not winning it. I fully believe that if Giannis Antetokounmpo won it this year, Sixers fans would be more happy than they would with Jokic 
winning it, which is which is fast, absolutely fascinating to me. It's less about Joel Embiid winning it than it is make sure Jokic, Jokic does this Jokic guy does not get it. Yeah, there's some weird stuff there. I like there's some race stuff there that I think is is a little bit off. There's some like and and it, it goes both ways, right? Like I've I've heard a lot of Philly fans have posited that the reason why Jokic is so celebrated nationally is because he's white. And I don't want to get into that. I don't want to get into the weeds of that because that's unfortunate. And like, I just, I just want to celebrate how good the dude is, but it's uh, the arguments have get gotten weirder and weirder and more estranged in general, just because I don't think there are that many tangible arguments out there. I think that when you're comparing Jokic and Embiid. It's a stylistic comparison of two players that are drastically different that play the same position. And Philly fans want their guy and the things that he does well to matter more. It's not about the passing. It's not about the rebounding. It's not about the oh the the steals from from the the defensive side of the ball, which is what Jokic does. It's about the physical dominance. It's about the flashy play that the Kobe like post game that that Joel Embiid has and I think with Giannis they can appreciate him more because he's more of a power forward he's more of somebody that isn't necessarily at Joel Embiid's position Mm. but when you have Jokic and he plays the position just so differently than Embiid they want their guy and what he does to matter more and whether that's fair or not I don't really know they do things differently and they're both top three players it's just that I think Jokic just won and they have a lot of hard feelings about that for sure. What game do you think won Jokic the MVP? I, 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 I think I know which one I, I would pick. It's, it's the Pelicans game where he scored 30 from uh fourth quarter in overtime. Ooh. I think that is the game. That's a good one. I think that is, is legitimately the game that people completely flipped where they were like wow uh, this this guy went in here and he like carried and then i think more than that he carried the nuggets he carried the nuggets in a way that closed the game and i think the difference between Jokic and Embiid is that you see Embiid lose steam very often at the end of games and i can't get the image of Danilo Gallinari as much as i love him Gallo stealing from Joel Embiid in game seven against, right. against the Hawks Gallo, not exactly a defensive mastermind stealing from Joel Embiid and making it look easy. And I can't get that out of my head. And it was largely because Embiid was just so gassed at the end of the game. And I think that part played into a factor of like, as soon as that is, this is just my opinion, but as soon as that, uh, Pelicans game in, came game came in where Jokic takes over in the fourth quarter and overtime and says, "Nope, this is this is they need me and we're going to win." Was the game where the press was like, "Oh, no, when I say the press, the media was like, yeah, we're 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 flipping this." It's a great call, and honestly, it's a call that I I completely forgot that he did that because there have been so many moments and so many instances of Jokic taking control and 
he does it in his own way sometimes, right? Like it's not always the 30 points in fourth quarter and overtime like he had in that game. Sometimes it's the passing or the rebounding or the playmaking or the, the game saving blocks or whatever it is, but he impacts the game so holistically and, and just all encompassing in his impact that it, that you can pick a number of games and a number of instances where he probably flips some voters. And I think that's a really good game. I think honestly, Embiid lost a lot of steam at that March 10th Brooklyn Nets game. And then the March 14th Denver game where those two back to back Embiid was the favorite up until those games. And he was still the slight favorite after the fact, but in that game and in those two where he and his team didn't really show up in the March 10th game. And then he ran out of gas against the nuggets on March 14th allowed Bones Highland and DeMarcus Cousins to bash his face in, in the fourth quarter with their, with their wide open threes. That's a, that's kind of a bad look. And it wasn't even Jokic. That was the one that really defeated him in that game. It was the Nuggets bench, which uh, a lot of Sixers fans have twisted to say, Oh, but Embiid won the Jokic minutes, but you lost the game and you lost it in part because Embiid wasn't good enough in those instances. And that is a big, big deal. So I think a lot of it was Jokic was doing it for the entire season and, and having these like signature game, signature game, signature game. And Embiid, when he slipped up in those two instances, voters looked up and were like, are we really doing the correct thing here? Like, is this, is this what we're really supposed to be doing after pushing that narrative for a month and a half? I think that that's probably where it lost. Yeah, I think so. And Yoki, or, um, Embiid had a great January. I mean, a oh yeah, he was fantastic January, but it was pre-Harden, and it was also they were playing a bunch of teams that were injured and a bunch of like lower tier teams, and right. I think a lot of that was happening in that that viewpoint. And then once Harden came in, just it diverged. He's had big games. Don't don't get me wrong. And in fact, I, I did a podcast on this about a couple of months ago. I, I would not have objected in February if they if Embiid was like the leader at that point in time before Harden because he, I think he was. Um, I think it flipped. I ju- I just think it does, and I think that's probably contributing to the the the, the fact that Sixers fans are in their in their feelings right now is because is you know the things were heading a certain direction. And began two years in a row, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just painful for them that in one year it was the injury that really flipped it. And and I think had he stayed healthy for all of last season and like the the post bubble season, then I think he probably would have won it because so many people wanted to give it to him over Jokic, and there was a certain reluctance about it. That okay, I guess we'll give Jokic the availability MVP. That's that was kind of the narrative that was played out for that one. But this year, Jokic's case was unflappable from a statistical standpoint and from an impact standpoint. And the fact that Embiid had so many of these, not meltdowns, but like, like, and the Sixers specifically had so many of these dead points against high profile competition. And then you could name uh, another Giannis game that he had late March. Right. That, that was a really big deal between those two. It was just enough 
I think, to really flip it in the minds of voters. And then Jokic never relinquished it. He was like, you start to look at his case, you get the 2,000, 1,500 stat. And at that point, it's kind of done. Well, before we move on to their next segment, um, I think you could make a much more solid case for Giannis. Um, I right. Think, I think Giannis, to me, is right neck and neck with Jokic as, as the best player in the league. Uh, Giannis um, is does things differently from Jokic. They are completely different players. They just much like Jokic and Embiid are completely different players. And that's where I'm like, okay, there's people right now who are making arguments for Luka Doncic being better than Nikola Jokic, which is which is one of those amusing things to me, considering how Luka Doncic started the year. Uh, but I I'm I'm like at this point I'm I'm wondering if if like if there's a sleeper in this quote unquote that we're not accounting for maybe it's Giannis like getting enough voters to where they're like this guy legitimately is the best player in the NBA I think it's definitely possible and it it was always kind of framed as a Jokic versus Embiid argument right and up until at least a couple weeks ago you had a lot of people saying oh hey Giannis why is he a distant third There's no reason why he should be a distant third in the odds, in the race, in whatever. And we've started to see ballots come in where Giannis and and Embiid have basically split the second place votes. And and I think a lot of that is, hey, Giannis was probably the second most impactful player this year. And he's going to get that. He's going to get that credit for sure. And I'm I'm a big Giannis fan. I know what he does. I know how he impacts the game at that level he's just about the right things i think which is really cool so he just seems like a player that a lot of people are willing to credit given that he won a title given that he won the two previous mvps you start to realize hey look uh, if we credit this guy there's nothing wrong with that he's got a a very strong case himself and he's what like 30 12 and 6 like that's insane that's That's those are insane numbers on the efficiency that he had Absolutely. Okay. Well, we are going to uh, take a quick break. And on the other side, uh, Ryan and I are going to give our initial thoughts about the Denver Nuggets 6-3 matchup with the Golden State Warriors in the first round. But uh, we'll be doing that right after this. And we're back. If only you people knew what we talked about during the break. Oh my god. If if only you people knew that that my roommate's cat decided to jump up onto my shoulder while I was podcasting right at the end of that last segment. Hopefully the uh the feedback comes through the mic so you guys can understand. Yeah, they 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 did not see that but uh look uh, that was uh that was a, a first that was a first ever on uh, on the on CSG. That's the first. Uh, no, that's not true. There there used to be the CSG um the the CSG cat fuzz back in uh, when nate ross and i were recording and uh but uh that cat looks a lot more pleasant than uh, than uh, the csg cat was back in the day but anyway <laughs> yeah this cat loves attention is uh he uh he can't get enough of it it's crazy um so uh initial thoughts i mean this won't be a t- terribly long segment but that w- initial thoughts on uh on uh this matchup uh i've uh, I listened to Locked On Nuggets and I heard Adam Mares, um sounding like he was deep in despair over the potential of the SmackUp matchup. Um, what are your thoughts? I think 
having gone through the data and I, I podcasted about this on pickaxe and roll. Uh, I wrote some stuff about it on the, uh, on my rotation preview and things like that on Denver stiffs that uh, it does seem like the warriors, if fully healthy are in a different class of team than the nuggets are given that Denver's not going to have Murray or Porter in all likelihood that it just seems like Denver is going to be at this major talent disadvantage and Golden State's big advantage is that they have these elite perimeter shooters, this elite perimeter attack that is going to uh, overwhelm what the Nuggets can do and what they can guard defensively, which admittedly is not a lot. Uh, now, Jokic is a singular force that may be able to overcome that, but I just don't believe that he's going to be enough for what he's going to have to do because it's just, it's, it's impossible. Like, is he going to average 35? Is he going to average 40? What is he going to have to do in order to overcome kind of the, the talent disparity that Denver is facing right now? I'm not sure. I've got an interesting take on, on this just initially, because I haven't fully formed what I'm going to be thinking about this series, but um, I did a podcast on this last week and it was weird to me how, and I'm not counting the Lakers game, by the way, because the, <laughs> that just doesn't count. Um, the The Memphis game was interesting to me. This Nuggets team had forgotten how to win at home. And, and quite frankly, they've, the last nine years, they have struggled to win at home, uh, you know, in a large way. Um, 23 right. and 18 at home is pretty bad. It's horrendous. Let's let's just call it what it is. That is a horrendous home record, and the Nuggets should be ashamed that it was that low, to be honest. Nuggets should have seven more wins at home. And it should be it should be much better. There's no reason that they should. I mean, it's great that they have a, a historically great uh, uh, road record this year, but their inability to win at home has been startling and, and really disturbing to me. And but the interesting thing to me was the Memphis game. Uh, because even though the Memphis Grizzlies did not have John Morant, they're what like twenty and twenty and three without 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 Jaw this year, something and, like that. And uh, it so it wasn't as if they were playing the B the, the B squad. Um, here is my feeling: the Nuggets understood finally at the end of the year that that they need to run at home, and that was the fastest I've seen the Nuggets play that Memphis game in since George Carl was here. They were getting runouts. They were getting steals. They were getting easy opportunities, and Jokic looked like he was having the time of his life. That it really game. did. <laughs> and one thing has occurred to me, and I've said this over and over to people: Jokic likes to run. He wa he wants to get out on a break. He wants that. He doesn't want it to be this constant walk it up slog that the Nuggets and, and quite frankly, they have been on since Malone's been here. But it's been particularly slow the last couple of years um and i think maybe a light went on because i've never i have not seen the nuggets play the way they played against memphis the entire malone era that is the first time i've seen them play like that they were getting steals they were getting runouts and i'm like how does that version of the nuggets play the golden state warriors who are going to run offensive sets and jack threes how does that team play a Denver Nuggets team that is like determined to steal you and get on the brakes all of Memphis right now? 
who's the player in your mind that is really emblematic of that kind of change? Because I think it's Aaron Gordon. I think what he was doing, I, I have the vision in my head of him making a defensive play or converting a defensive stop on a rebound and then grabbing the ball and getting out on the break and, and doing his thing, trying to push the pace. I think that he's the guy that you look to to try to be that pace setter. What do you think? I think him and, uh, to be honest with you, Bones Highland. Um, yeah. I think those two in tandem was really good. And what they were doing, and, and it was interesting, there was a possession in the third quarter when the Nuggets were really pulling away where it was a tap out on a steal, which I, once again, I never see. I have not seen this in nine years. The Nuggets had a tap out with the leak out. Have, has, it's just, you just don't see it anymore. They, they play 24-second defense. They want you to miss a shot. Go, gunning for steals, it was like, oh, my God. And it happened again. And then it happened again. And Gordon, it was a Gordon Bones. Uh, and it was a, I think it was even Barton and Bones were doing that, too. And it was, and it was interesting to me because it was like this Nuggets team has been really adverse to steals. And I think that, that getting those steals completely changed the way they played at home specifically that Memphis team was exhausted. They were absolutely exhausted and they run more than any team in the NBA. They are a get out and break team. I think Gordon has a lot to do with that, but I really do think bones Highland makes a huge difference, huge difference with that. One other guy is Jokic, who, when, yeah. like you said, he likes to push the pace, but also on the steals front, I think he had four steals in that Memphis game. And, and he's just one of those guys that he's got to play the deflection game. He's not going to be the rim protector. He's not going to be this massive perimeter threat where he can switch out onto the perimeter or anything, but he has to play the passing lanes really well, force the Warriors into something that's going to be a little bit less comfortable for them. And I'm not sure how it's going to work. I'm not sure whether he's going to be able to do that and, and what that's going to look like. But if he averages like two, two and a half steals a game, then maybe Denver can swing a series. Maybe they can put themselves into a position where you get those 15 to 20 fast break points a game. You find yourself a way to earn the easy stuff because the Warriors are a really good defense. Right. And though they don't necessarily have that elite post defender, they're really good at defending the post. Yeah, they and I, I was looking at these possessions where Jokic specifically was turning the ball over in the post and it was against the Warriors. And I'm just kind of doing my, my video work on this series. And what they do is they don't really double. They shrink, they compress down the lane. They have five guys with a foot in the paint and they make sure that you cannot pass the ball into the middle of the paint. And so Denver's going to have to figure out how to navigate that in the half court. The easiest way to do it is to make sure you're not playing in the half court at all. Right. Don't let them set their defense. And that, and that is, that is something that has been missing for a long time. The nuggets even, I mean, actually it's pretty, it's even worse with Jamal out there because Jamal will walk the ball up. He, he will make sure he runs the set. He gets into the OX end and they do the two man game, all that stuff. That's a different element. Let's remove that from. I think he's, he's a player that can play that half court style and plays it better than just about anybody on the nuggets roster outside of Jokic. Yeah. But against the Warriors, you need to play fast. Right. And that's, and that's why I'm setting that aside because Jamal, I don't think is going to be there. So 
you, you remove this, the Nuggets team as they are now. We have to deal with the team as they are now. And this Nuggets team, I think, came to the realization that they can't wait for people to drain threes because that's only going to happen once every four games. And this team is not consistent enough, particularly with Mike not out there, Michael Porter Jr. You're, you're just not going to be able to right. get enough threes. Um, and what they have been doing is one of the reasons they're, and I'm going in using a word I never use, but one of the reasons their variance is so wonky is because they've been running these sets to where they're trying to have streaky shooters shoot threes and it just hasn't been working. And they've been having to over rely on Jokic to, to bail them out of bad offensive possessions. Um, Every action is like dribble handoff, dribble handoff, pass along the perimeter, uh, eventually maybe get it into Jokic. Uh, Jokic then tries to do something. Jokic shoots a three that's bad nuggets offensive possession. I, I told, I once told Eric Sparopoulos when he was out here, former nuggets, uh, social media guy. And, uh, I said, the nuggets have a tendency to uh, devolve into dribble handoff hell. And I think, I think what the, they, they did against Memphis busted them out of that. You know, we can't even include, we cannot include the, the Lakers game because the nuggets weren't playing the people they would play. This right, was this right. is this was a situation where in Memphis, where they I think it was an epiphany, and I think in the playoffs you're going to see the Nuggets understand that they they can't aren't the people who are going to be knocking down a bunch of threes in their half court sets. What they've got to do is make sure that Golden State's defense is not set by all means. And and here's the thing, like Jokic was a plus thirty seven. In, a, in 35 minutes against a Memphis Grizzlies team that played Steven Adams, that played Jaron Jackson, that played Dylan Brooks, that played DeAnthony Melton, Desmond Bain, all of their guys that outside of John Morant are going to play heavy minutes in a series. So there is definitely some possibility here that, look, the Memphis Grizzlies are not the same caliber of defense that the Warriors are, but there are some matchups that Denver can take advantage of there and particularly the one in the post where Jokic is going to try to put Kevon Looney in hell. And if he can break that matchup, then he has to face Draymond Green. And if he can break that matchup, then I don't know what the Warriors are going to do. And and a lot of their defense, which is built on not doubling, is going to make some some weird decisions. There's, There's going to be some opportunities there for Denver, even in the half court to really make that work. But you're right. Like, look, this game's going to start on the defensive end for Denver. If the Nuggets cannot stop the Warriors, and if they cannot turn them over, if they're if the Warriors are playing these games, like the Warriors play a high-variance game themselves, right? Like they have all these three-point shooters. They turn the ball over. It's a part of their ethos. That's what they do. The Nuggets have to be able to take advantage of that. And they have to be solid enough themselves on the other end that they don't beat themselves because they're going to get destroyed in transition if they turn the ball over. So they've got to avoid that too. Yeah. Well, I, I you know, don't people don't need need to not confuse what I'm saying here because quite frankly, I'm pretty pessimistic about about their chances. Sure. Um, but I, I'm just trying to look for ways that they can do better. The ways that this version of this Nuggets team can break through and maybe steal a game in in uh san francisco to uh to 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 move this thing along i mean i this nuggets team 
is going to have to find, be, get creative to find ways to help themselves, which they have done a poor job of doing. This team always has a barrier standing in front of themselves and it's always themselves. You know, this is a very talented Nuggets team that needs to help themselves. Help me help you is what they say. Well, help them help, help themselves, you know, then exactly. ho- hopefully they can do things to make things easier than themselves, which is getting breakouts, leads above the break threes, anything that it takes to hopefully pull an upset. If Denver doesn't, if they don't force the Warriors into those bad defensive possessions, well, let me, let me rephrase this. If the Nuggets themselves, if they're taking the ball out from under their own basket, every single possession, they're going to lose the series. If they are letting Steph Curry and Draymond Green and Klay Thompson defeat them emotionally with the, the pounding that the Warriors like to give to other teams, then they're going to lose the series. Uh, Denver has to be emotionally strong and, and kind of mentally prepared for this kind of series. And I, I don't know if they're there. I don't know if this is a team that fully believes in themselves. Maybe they do, and maybe they prove me wrong. And, and that's something that we learn about this team as Jokic and Aaron Gordon and Will Barton and Monte Morris and guys like that. And maybe Jeff Green helps in that regard. And Austin Rivers helps in that regard. And Jamichael Green helps in that regard. But those guys are going to have to step up and make plays too. It can't just be Jokic and Gordon and Monte Morris. Like you've got to find opportunities to create shots and prevent shots with these other dudes. You've got to insulate Bones highly. You've got to make sure because he has not played well against the Warriors this year. And that's that's one thing that I look at and like, look, okay, Bones shot 28% against the Warriors from the field, and he shot 18% from three or something like that. So he it can't just be on him. Like he has to be helped. And whether it's Rivers, whether it's Will Barton or Aaron Gordon staggering with the second unit, the Nuggets are gonna have to bolster the good things that they do and Jokic and Bones Highland and, and those exciting things with some grit, with some uh tenacity, and and just play like a playoff team because we haven't seen that quite yet. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, well. I think that's, a, that's all I had for this one. I, 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 thanks to Ryan for joining me. Um, so where can they find Mr. Ryan Blackburn? Of course, you can follow me at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. You can check out my work at denverstiffs.com. I'm the site manager over there. We're putting out a lot of good content, I think, especially over this week, previewing the series in general. Uh, but you can also follow the podcast on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, Pickaxe and Roll. And doing a lot of great stuff over there. Uh, going to have Gordon Gross on for Tuesday night's episode, and we're going to discuss Nikola Jokic, Bones Highland, and a variety of other topics. Should be a lot of fun. All right, we'll follow uh, Ryan Blackburn there. Uh, what's your Twitter? At NBA Blackburn. At NBA Blackburn. I knew that. I just wanted to have uh, Ryan say that. Um, so uh, uh, be sure and follow Ryan. A bunch of great content coming out at Denver Stiffs as usual. Uh, the old, the old site, um, the stomping grounds, baby, the old stomping grounds. I, I had a random memory of, of, of writing an article in 2000. I actually had a dream about it, writing an article in 2010 about, about uh, the, the Oklahoma city thunder that got me into trouble. <laughs> so 
um, that was 12 years ago. So I, I'm having memories of things I did 12 years ago. Um, I'm old, if you didn't know already. So uh, anyway, thank you. <laughs> Thanks to Ryan. And thank you all for joining us on the latest CSG. I will be back with another episode. Goodbye. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu slash visit.